Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. Welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. This is Jamie Riggs, your host, and um, I am podcasting today, unbelievably, from Whitefish, Montana, where Becky and I are taking a little vacation to Glacier National Park. But, um, and and go ahead and tell you before I get started tonight that um, the Wi-Fi and the cell service in Montana is spotty at best. But they got a lot of other good stuff in Montana. So anyway, we're we're having a really nice trip, and I'm tickled tonight to have with me uh, David Jennings. And um, DJ, this is not mine, your first rodeo at all. You were the play-by-play guy for T.R. Miller my last was several years, and uh, we did a lot of Tiger Talks together. You know, Coach, I was thinking about that, and if you'd have told me back in the days of Tiger Talk that we might be doing a podcast with you in Montana and me here in Bruton, <laughs> I wouldn't want to think about that. This is wild. It is wild, and 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 especially if it works, <laughs> we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. So, in this episode, what we're going to do is we call this episode five questions. And so, what David's going to do is he's going to ask me five questions that I'm going to I have promised to answer truthfully and in depth. And um, uh, uh, while that's going on. At any time, he has the right to stop me and ask any follow-up questions he wants to, to ask. And uh, when we get through the first question, we'll move on to number two. And the subject tonight is, is basically T.R. Miller football history. And so David's got five questions he wants the answers to. I'm going to try to do this and, and, um, and answer them to the very best of my ability. All right? And, and by the way, the, the rules could change at any time. <laughs> a fluid situation yes yes a little bit like our tiger talks where yeah. i would say hey dj what we gonna talk about today and you would say i don't know i'll figure it out when we get started so hot <laughs> mic mic here we go coach before we get started i want to say how excited i am about your <clears throat> podcast you first mentioned it to me several weeks ago i was nodding my head and excited because i think there's a lot of people that will be interested in this. Of course, you're such a great storyteller and have all the information and history. I think it should be shared. I know you're excited about getting it out in several different forms, this podcast being one. But thank you for letting me be a small part of this. I'm excited. Well, David, I appreciate that. I know that when it comes to uh, Miller football history, you're one of the first guys that uh, that I'd want to talk to. And uh, also, I'm going to try to help you help me a little bit with Auburn football a little bit from time to time as we talk about everything from college to pro to, to whatever, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the history of things as well as what's going on today with different issues and so forth. So, all right, David, I, I'm ready if you are. I am, Coach. And when I was thinking about this, when we talked about the five questions, you know, for me, I could have put them all back in the days that kind of predated when I started watching or playing or following. But to be fair to the listening audience, I, I've tried to grab one from each of the eras 
to hold everyone's interest. So I'm going to start back, you know, back in the in, in the early to mid '60s when you were a kid here in Bruton, and, and of course one of the great Bruton families, the Riggs family, and you're going two games. And I want to focus a little bit on that '69 team and, and how great they were. And, and, and just a side note to that. I didn't know how great they were until you and your sons did the video, and I saw it. I had my perception of what TR of what high school football was in the '60s, and I was blown away by what TR Miller played in that season in particular. It was amazing, and that was a job well done. If you haven't seen that DVD, you need to get a copy of that. That's pretty good stuff. But in saying that, Coach, the '69 team—I mean. And we can get into this a little bit later in terms of where they rank on all-time tier of Miller teams. But they were just unbelievable on offense and defense. Their numbers are just – they're hard to believe until you fact-check them and say, man, that really did happen. They really beat all these people that bad. Didn't give up points, scored a ton of points, whatever. And my first question is, did the community and did, did, did Coach Wood and the guys, did they see that coming after the 68 season? Was there a build-up to that? What do you, what do you remember from that? Well, uh, let me let me give you just a little bit of background. Um, Mac Wood came to uh, T.R. Miller in 1966. He replaced Daryl Fitz, who was a really outstanding coach. He took the job at Mountain Brook. And we hired Mac Wood. Mac was the head coach at Geraldine High School up on Sand Mountain. But he was from Greenville and had played at Troy. And anyway, we hire Coach Wood. Now, he's a young guy. He, he's in his, in his early 30s when we hire him. So when he arrives on campus... He hit the jackpot. And here's why I mean that. T.R. Miller High School, the school, the building was about three or four years old. The football stadium's brand new. And it was state-of-the-art now, I'm telling you, at that time. When he arrived, his ninth-grade class was loaded. It was loaded. It had um, all these great players that were seniors in 69. So he hit the jackpot. And the first thing that happened that was really good is – for coach and, and, and this group is in 1966, Bucky Philippi became the starting quarterback as a freshman. In 1966, we beat Neal 25 to 14. First time we'd beat Neal in a decade. And there was celebration and jubilation in Bruton that night. And, okay. um, and, and it really was. And so uh, the, the next season, 1967, most people don't know this. We had a really good football team in 67. Uh, Bucky was a sophomore. A number of the, these guys who would be seniors in 69 were playing as sophomores. We really had a good team. I'll tell you how good they were. They gave up 79 points in 10 games. Okay, now I know offense wasn't what it is today back then, but that's still eight points a game. And here's even more amazing. We gave up 27 twice, 27 to Neal and 27 to Atmore. So in the other eight games, they gave up 25 points. So wow. in those days, um, you know, stopping the run was everything if you wanted to, to win games. So in, so in 67, we had a really good football team. But the problem was at midseason, we lose to Florala over at Florala. And, of course, we all blamed on the referees. Bucky Phillipi broke his hand. And he was out for the season. So the rest of the year, we had to play without our star sophomore quarterback. I think we ended up like six, three, and one that year. We did have tie games in those years. And then, um, but the next year in 68, everybody could see what was coming. We had this great group of juniors, over 20 of them. And, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a pretty good group of seniors. There were very few of them. There was only seven or eight of them, but some good players. Charlie Walker was a good 
tackle on that football team. Ronald Barton and Sammy Rogers were good running backs. And Van Allen, number 89, was a, a, a big tight end and defensive end. And then you combine all of and, – and, and I'm, I, don't, I don't have all the names in front of me, but there were some others. Those seven or eight guys were really good players. Combine them with all those – this great junior class, and boom, we had a good football team. Um, Van Allen – wasn't he called Biggin? Wasn't that like yeah. his nickname? Biggin, yeah. Biggin? yeah, I think so. He was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so we get started in 68. And I'm going I'm to answer your question here in a second. When we get, uh, start, when we get started in 68, Ty Greenville, the first game, 13-13. to 13. We, we lose a couple weeks later to Atmore in a, a game I remember very vividly. It was a great game. Um, we lose. It was, we lost by a touchdown or something. Then we reel off six straight victories. Okay, and um, it's time for the Neil game. Neil had lost one game. We had lost a game and tied a game. And I would think that probably if Coach Wood were here today, he would tell you that of all his games at Miller, the Miller-Neil game in 1968 was one of his greatest disappointments. We lost 32-17. to 17. And um, it was it was tough. I, I just remember it. I was, yeah, I guess I was in the seventh grade. It, it hurt everybody because it was everybody, it was a big buildup to the game. We had a good football team in 68. We really did. And everybody could see what was about to happen in 1969 when we had all these guys coming back. Now, one other thing that you can factor in, we were in freedom of choice as far as the federal desegregation of schools. And for the first time, we had some black students who had started coming over and going to school at T.R. Miller. Everybody would go to school together in the fall of 1970, but in 68, <clears throat> excuse me, in 68, 69, it wasn't that way. You had a choice to come to whatever school you want to, and uh, we had we had some some black players uh, in 69 that really helped our depth. Some like Seal Castafani, he was a, an, an excellent receiver and defensive back, and then uh, Bo Jones came over and, and played, and they were a little late getting there in 69 because. They're not even in the team picture. But, right. of course, they allowed them to go ahead and play. But we had already had a couple of guys who had come over and played, and one of those was Frankie Sims. And uh, I could I could tell stories about Frankie Sims and how great he was. But the, in 69, just telling you, in 69, everybody could see this coming and could understand that we were fixing to have a great football team. Well, Coach, just just for a moment, and I think I know this to be the case. But for those that you know might be younger than me, they may not be aware of this. You know, the, the landscape of high school football has changed so much over the years in terms of number of classifications. You know how you're divided up in regions or whatnot. In those days, and you correct me if I'm wrong, in those days, we voted into the playoffs. It wasn't necessarily winning a certain amount of games or beating these teams or those teams. You had to be voted in by the press. And I'm assuming being in a rural area like Bruton, Alabama with all the major press outlets in Mobile, Montgomery, and Birmingham, there might have been a little anxiety there in terms of getting chosen to participate. Well, David, you're right and you're wrong. All okay. right, so here, here's the way they did the playoffs. By the way, let me just – let me just um, well, let me go ahead and tell you how they did the playoffs. Uh, you went on a point system. There were no regions. There was nothing, anything like that. You went on a point system. All right, you got like 10 points for every victory you had over – any team that was your class or above. We were 2A then, all right? Okay. And so, go ahead. Classification. 
How many classifications there, total, Coach? There were four classifications throughout the state okay. of Alabama. Okay, we were 2A. Okay. So, basically, and here's the deal. The first years of the playoffs, only four teams made it. We're talking about four teams in the entire classification made it. So, yeah, and 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 the the thing that that we were concerned about in '69 was that we only had nine games. Oh, so, wow. so we had wow. to we had to win all nine of them. Now, as it turned out, and I'll get to this in a minute. It turned out it all turned out fine, but that was a that was the issue. That was the way that they did the playoffs, and they only had four. So basically, if you lost a game, you were out of it. And um, if you only played nine, surely you were out of it. If um, if you uh, if you lost a game, so I'll give you a little background on the whole playoff deal and everything that that, that most people do not know. In November of ni- late November 1966, they had the first ever state championship game in Alabama. There was only one game. It was the big classifications, Lee versus Lanier. Uh, they had played semifinals week before. And uh, then they played the finals, and so they'd already played one time, and they and they played the second game there. Well, uh, Coach Woods on record as saying that he went to the state championship game, went to the game, and on the way home, he dreamed of how he could get T.R. Miller in the state championship game by 1969. You know, he did some things then, including starting a little weight program, which was, you know, wasn't that many folks lifting, especially in the small schools back there in the 60s. He started doing things to work towards 1969. As it turned out, it turned out great for everybody. And and another thing I tell you, David, there's always two things I think about when I think about the 69 team. First of all, they were a complete team. We could throw the football like nobody else in the state of Alabama. We had a quarterback that could sling it in Bucky Phillippe. Jimmy McCracken was a great wide out. We also had Johnny Booker and, and Jim Hildreth played out there. Uh, Mac Philippi was the tight end. He was six foot five and 195 pounds. He was a great target with great hands, and uh, both our running backs could catch the ball as well. And you know we could throw the football. We 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 could do that. We could run the football. Greer Horton and Lee Kaler were the running backs. Uh, both had good speed. They were both tough. Could break away. They could catch a ball and they could block. Uh, they were they were outstanding. And we had a good offensive line and a pretty big offensive line. You know, Gordon Sherr was our center. Gordon was pretty good size, and uh, we had some other guys that were good. And um, up front, uh, Emil Harrell was a good tackle for us, number 75. And uh, he was one of the three juniors that played. Everybody else playing as a senior. He was one of the three juniors that played. So, you know, we had an offense that could ring up the scoreboard in a hurry. And then the other part, the defensive part, if you're good on defense in the 60s, you were stopping the run. And we had the, one of the greatest defensive linemen ever to play in Frankie Sims. Unbelievable. Uh, he, he, was, he was unbelievable. He was dominant. Nobody could, could block him. Coach Wood loved to play him at nose guard and try, try to make um, uh, people double-team him. And then we also had an all-state linebacker in Steve Glass. He was hard as rock. I'm telling you, he would blow you up. He was, he was truly outstanding. And Steve was probably about 185, 190 pounds in those days. And um, we had two defensive ends out there, and Mac Philippi, who was six five, I said six foot five, uh, uh, playing out on one side, and Travis Ballard, and they were both juniors. Travis Ballard playing the other. One. Travis Ballard was a great football player, and um, just knowledgeable and made made great plays. We were outstanding on defense. So 
the first thing I always think about, we were a complete team. We could also punt it. Bucky was a punter. And Greg Gillis was our place kicker. And Greg um, went and, and kicked at Auburn in the early 70s. He was, he was a starting place kicker at Auburn, I know, one season in the early 70s. So we could kick it in the end zone. We could kick field goals, but we never did because we always scored touchdowns. That's a, and then the second thing I think about them, David, is um, domination. We dominated people. Um, 40 to nothing, 50 to nothing, 69 to nothing over Georgiana, 75 to nothing over Florala, 41 to nothing over Flomaton, 51 to nothing over Neal. We gave up 14 points the entire regular season in nine games, and the first touchdown, we were ahead of Monroeville 28 to nothing. It was homecoming, best I can remember. And uh, Bucky Philippi threw an interception. They ran it back for a touchdown. And I always, I always heard that. Obviously, he was upset. This was the sixth game of the year. They had five consecutive shutouts. Sixth game of the year, and always, obviously, Bucky was really upset. You know, I always heard that, that there were some tears in the dressing room. Wow. Because they wow. scored. So, yeah, wow. Un- unbelievable. So, uh, this was a truly outstanding team. And I'll tell you one other thing. Uh, we make the playoffs. We go to Dothan to play Abbeville. And Abbeville had only given up 30-something points. They had Leroy Cook, Ronnie Joe Barnes. Both of them went and played Alabama. They were truly outstanding. A lot of folks thought that their defense would, would be the match for our offense, but Bucky was tremendous that night um, throwing the ball around and had a long run for a touchdown because he could really run. He could he could do it. We beat them 41-14, to 14, and then the next week we beat – Aliceville 27 nothing in Bruton and uh, Aliceville had I think negative total offense that night they 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 didn't make any yards on our defense whatsoever so this was an unbelievable football team and uh, just just truly um, I think everybody saw it coming but we really just didn't think in those days state championship so much because it had just started right, right. that's right right and and so, and, and so but they, they were tremendous that's outstanding. I'll tell you, Coach, as, it, as this project moves on, I really think we're going to have to come back and have one whole segment <laughs> about the 2019 because I could listen to you talk about it all night long. Of course, I had the pleasure of meeting Steve Glass. I don't know if you remember this or not, but he was home for one homecoming and sat yeah. in with us on talk uh, one afternoon there on the on the, on the on the breezeway or on the porch there at Oaks. But uh, I love hearing those stories, Frankie Sims, Bucky Phillippi. Uh, Shine McCrack and all of them. And if uh, as this rocks on, we might need just to dedicate a whole segment of them if you wanted to. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the to the second question. And of course, Coach, if I'm correct, that '69 season, you were in the eighth grade. Would that be correct? That's correct. Okay, so the next year you come into the program, you know, maybe with the JV or the varsity. I'm not exactly sure how it sets up, but you're there '70, '71, '72, and '73. And then, of course, graduate in seven, the spring of 74. Um, during that time, I think I might again, there was three head coaches at T.R. Miller. Coach Wood had left, and uh, we had uh, uh, Coach Rampy, I think, was one of the coaches. Or maybe, no, maybe Coach Wood was there in 70 when he came in the program, and then Coach Rampy and Coach Cotton. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Okay. A little, bit, a little bit of turnover there, but with those three coaches being in there and you being now on campus and being exposed to their coaching, method, coaching methods, what were what were some things that you took from each of them that maybe helped you as a player, helped you as a young person, and then later when you got into the coaching profession? Well, I can tell you that um, 
they were all three different. They were all three very successful, which goes to show you there's no one way to do it. Coach Wood was my coach in my ninth and 10th grade years, and he taught me this. I use this with my team forever. Football's a tough game. It's meant to be played by tough people. And he was tough. Our practices were unbelievably tough and physical. And it didn't matter. Spring training. By the way, in those days, we did four weeks of spring training the entire month of March. Ouch. In pads every day. Ouch. In pads every day. So, um, but with, with Coach Wood, uh, you were going to be tough. And that's the one thing that I learned. And all my teams will tell you, you know, what did Coach Rick tell us all the time? He told us football is a tough game. It's meant to be played by tough people. And I owe him a, a lot because he made me grow up. He made me do some things that I really didn't want to do. And I'll tell you a, a quick story to, to kind of give you an example of this. I'm in the 10th grade, and I'm the scout team tailback. You know what that means. They're, they're, they're wearing on me pretty good. It's a Monday. We're out there in pads. We had lost to Andalusia the Friday night before in a pretty close game, and Coach Wood was not happy. And so he put the first team defense out there. He put me at tailback in the eye formation, and I'm running it with whatever blocking he gave me. And so we're out there, and um, we, we run a play. We ran a sweep and, and ran it over there by the sideline over there. We were out there on the practice field, on the baseball field. And uh, somebody came over and made the tackle on me, and I kind of let him bump me out of bounds, if you know what I mean. You know, I didn't, I didn't turn, I didn't, I didn't turn that thing up. I just kind of let him butt me out of bounds, and I hit the ground over like you know he, like he really did something, and I got up off the ground. When I got up off the ground, Coach Wood's nose was about two inches from me, and he looked at me and he said, "You know," he said, "At Andalusia, their running backs turn the ball up the sideline and run it like a man," and he said, he said, and that's probably why they're winning and we're not. Wow. And Strong. yeah, and said it in front of everybody. Yeah. In front of everybody, all the players, all the coaches. So I head back to the huddle and I heard those words that you never want to hear if you're the scout team tailback. Run it again. Run it again. Which means the entire defense knows <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. He tossed that, they tossed that thing to me. I, I went over there, I hit the, um, about the numbers over there. I turned that thing up and two of our, guys broke down to tackle me i split them ran right down the sideline you know and busted that thing well i, I was waiting on my compliment but it never came because he's chewing on the folks that didn't make the tackle on me and and so but what let me tell you what he did for me the next day so we're having a meeting the next day before we go out to practice and the meeting the subject of the meeting is basically you can do anything you want to do I don't remember what all he said, but that's basically the subject of the meeting. He said, you can do anything you want to do. And he said, and Jamie Riggs proved that yesterday. Wow. wow. So, so he did that in front of the entire team. And from that point on, I looked at myself differently. I think yep. my teammates looked at me differently. And, yep. uh, and, and, and I grew, grew up a lot that day. So Mac taught me about, about toughness. Coach Rampey uh, was a different guy. Uh, he was also in his early 30s. He taught me this. He taught me that hard work builds confidence in football players. And he was big. First one we had at Miller, who was big on the off-season program, he put us to work on, on um, in those days we had these, uh, these weight machines. 
that you could work about 12 folks on. And it had all kind of, there had a bench press and a military thing. It was all, you know, um, a stack weights and stuff like that. It was, it was the craze of the 70s. And so we wore that thing out. He took us out on the track and put us out there and let us run 100 yards, 200 yards, or 220s and 330s. And he timed us and he made us make our times or we'd have to run it again. Every team I had at T.R. Miller, except the very first one, every other team I had at T.R. Miller, I made them do the exact same thing. So all, wow. the, all you folks that played out there who hated yeah. that, and that included 99.9% .9 of everybody that did it. Right. Coach Rempe, I took his program, and all I did is copy it and do it. And I'll tell you this, and I knew it were, would work because it made me faster and it made me tougher. So... When we started the 72 season, we all thought we were going to have a really good team because we had never worked like that in the offseason. So he, he really gave us a lot of confidence in what we were doing. So so he, he, he taught me a lot about building confidence in players. You know, you and Coach Baker, you know, were obviously, you know, classmates and teammates. And, and Coach Baker used to speak very highly of, of Coach Rampey and the, and the work ethic and, and the – the, the motto, you know, there's no substitute for hard work. It, it'll help. It'll, it'll get you where you need to be. And to hear, you know, you and Coach Baker speak so highly of the man, I can only imagine who he was. I wish I had the opportunity to have known him. Don't know that I wanted to play for him. <laughs> I learned to hear about him. Yeah, he was he was a tough guy too, and didn't practice as hard and as long. We'd have some marathon practices with Coach Wood, but Coach Rampy didn't practice as long. Now, he, we did some tough things. And one other thing about Coach Rampy, and we, we can do an episode on him. He didn't care who you were. You know, he, he could care less. If you did the job, you got to play. He didn't care what, what he didn't care what grade you were in. And we played a bunch of sophomores in 72 just because, you know, if you acted like you were tough and you could play, he'd try to put you out there. So, let me, let me, go let ahead. Let me ask you, and, and, and this is getting off script just a little bit, but y'all dressed out, when, when you were playing, y'all dressed out in what I would call the old basketball gym, the locker room off the back of it. Is that correct? Right. That's where y'all's locker room was, and y'all would walk down to the baseball field and practice, and then, of course, make the longer walk down to Municipal Stadium on Friday nights. But in that locker room was that weight machine you were talking about. And I remember this from being a kid. There was a sign up in there. And I'm trying to tie this into Coach uh, Coach Rampy, whether he did it or not. I don't know. Maybe you can speak to it. But there was a sign up in that locker room, and it came down to the locker room where we dressed under the stadium. And it said, Victory doesn't always go to the fastest or strongest, but sooner or later it goes to the man who believes he can win. And I remember that, and it stuck with me, and it was kind of an unofficial, you know, T.R. Miller motto. Did, did Coach Rampey, was he the one that put that sign up, or would you know? I think Coach Wood put that up, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was already there. Great saying. I mean, yeah. it, it, I, 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 that, that sign had a big impact on me, and I, I, just, I was just curious. Okay, good stuff. And, um, and finally, uh, my senior year, I got to play for Frank Cotton. Frank Cotton taught me this. He taught me that motivating the individual player and motivating the team was as important as anything you could do. And he was an expert at – these days, David, we call it culture. He was an expert at culture. He had everybody wanting to play football for him. And um, he thought there were some people in school that weren't playing football, ought to be playing football just because, you know, we had been kind of really hard and tough on them. It was the era 
with that kind of time. And Coach Cotton didn't believe in all that. Uh, with Coach Cotton, uh, practices were a lot shorter. Um, we did a lot, especially in the season, we did a lot less hitting during the season. And he wanted you well and rested and wide open on Friday nights. And folks love playing for Frank Cotton. People would say, well, he wasn't near as tough as some of these other coaches. The bottom line is, did he win? Absolutely he won. Everybody wanted to play for him and wanted to be a part of football at Miller while he was coaching it. And he was truly, truly an outstanding coach and had that ability to uh, get people to play for him. And um, the one piece of advice he gave me, he never gave me but one piece of advice. And this was when I was in college and I was, I was fixing to start coaching. He said, um, i tell you what. He said, if you can get them to play for you on Friday nights, you'll be okay. So I never forgot that and, and tried to make motivation, what we did with motivation, as important as anything else. Absolutely. And I tell you, you know, Coach Cotton was obviously the coach of T.R. Miller when I was a kid and coming along. And, you know, we thought Coach Cotton hung the moon. And I'm not so sure that he didn't. He was he was, he was, uh, he was a big community guy. I know the community rallied around him. And I think it's safe to say the hundreds of kids you coached, maybe a thousand kids that you coached, even though they didn't know, you know, Coach Wood, Coach Ramby, or maybe even Coach Cotton personally, they got a piece of them through you due to the influence they had on you. Yeah, I, I think so, absolutely, and uh, I was just real fortunate. You know, I, Haiti, we lost Coach Rampy um, with a car wreck, you know, in, in February of 73, but, you know, to, to play for the three guys I got to play for and, and to be able to learn what I learned from them, uh, and I used parts of what they did throughout my coaching career, and uh, they were just truly outstanding. I'll tell you one other thing, Dave, before we go on. to uh, one of the, Another person who really influenced me at T.R. Miller High School was one of our assistants named Larry Mickwee. And Larry Larry came in 69 with Hinton Johns. They, they, they were both fresh out of college, I think. And Larry ended up marrying Nita Young, a, a brute girl. And uh, Larry Mickwee taught me this, that enthusiasm is everything. He taught me the importance of positive attitude. Uh, every day you saw Larry Mickwee, he was smiling and talking about how great everything was today and how great we were going to be at practice today. And and he really taught me the importance of that. And uh, in those days, he taught Spanish. The Spanish classes at T.R. Miller were full. And nobody really gave a crap about Spanish. But they wanted to be around Larry McWee. Wow. And, and um, I, he was one of those people that you just wanted to be around. I took... I'm going to say 80% of all I believed in football I took from those four guys. And obviously I learned some from some other guys I worked with, but those four guys really made a difference for me. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, moving on to question three, Coach. And before, I'm trying to keep this in chronological order, you know, as we're moving on. And i got to ask you, can I ask a bonus question? And it's, it's one I know the answer to. I just think it's a story that needs to be told. Anybody who loves T.R. Miller, anybody who loves Brute needs to hear this story. And if I can, I want to ask this quick question and get you to tell it. As we're moving on, fall of 1984, 
the classifications from 83, 84 have gone from 4A to 6A. Mm -hmm. There are now six classifications. Your defensive coordinator, T.R. Miller, T.R. Miller goes on and wins the state championship in 4A, the first year of six classifications. Y'all were playing Cherokee County up in center Alabama. And uh, Coach Roch, you know, we have, we have a couple of characters on that football team. One of them is Dwayne Hammock. Please tell the story about the security watch that you had in play for that night at the, at the Red Roof Inn. And uh, what Coach Sasser's thoughts on it were, please. So we're, we, we went up to play. We're playing in Cherokee Cane, which is in center. And um, so uh, we were going to spend a night in, in Gadsden at a hotel in Gadsden. Then drive up, check the field out the day before, you know how all that is. You know, you're killing time, you're getting ready, and then we're going to drive up and play the game uh, that, that night. So, Dwayne Hammock's on our team. Now, I'm the defense coordinator, and Dwayne only plays defense. And Dwayne and I were pretty close. And um, he um, is one of the most interesting people to ever play at T.R. Miller High School. And that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 in fairness, Dwayne, Dwayne had great respect for me. I mean, he really did, and he wouldn't be disrespectful to me for any reason whatsoever. But every once in a while, he'd get upset about something. But anyway, so to make a long story short here, uh, Donnie Rush and I were pretty sure that at some point in time that night at the hotel, Dwayne was going to sneak out. Now. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so, um, you know, we kept kind of just checking on him, you know, here and there and all that kind of stuff. And I went in there one time and knocked on his door, and a door opens, and he's in there, and he's got a couple of sophomores in there. And there's smoke everywhere. I mean, there's smoke everywhere. And I said, I told those two sophomores, get out of that room. They better not go back again. And and I looked at him, and I said, you're going to screw up. You know, no, Coach, I'm good. Everything's fine. I told him, guys, they didn't need to be smoking. So... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Donnie and I are determined. We know, and here's the gig. It got down to like 12 degrees that night. But we're still figuring Dwayne's going to get out at some point in time. And so about 10 o'clock that night, we sent everybody to bed, and we had our last coaching meeting. And so uh, uh, we're all sitting in there with Coach Sasser. And, and I told Donnie, I said, look, why don't you go on to bed? I'll stay up, and I'll get it till about – one o'clock, one or two o'clock, or something like that. Then I'll let you handle something. And Mike says, "What are y'all talking about?" And we just said, "We know Hammett's going to try to get out of here tonight, <laughs> and we're going to make sure he doesn't." And it's an old motel, you know, where the doors, you know, came on the outside and everything, you know. And classic Mike Sasser. He looked at Donnie and I. And he says, "I want to tell both of y'all something." He said, "Y'all can catch Dwayne Hammett." doing anything you want to tonight. But tomorrow night at 7.30, he's fixing to wear that red and white jersey, and he says he's fixing to help us beat Cherokee County. He said, y'all got that? And I looked at Donnie and said, I think I'm going to bed. Donnie said, I am too. <laughs> so, I love that. The first time I told that, I love that. That is pure T.R. Miller gold right there. I love that. I still think he went out that night. I don't know where he went, but... I'm sure he did. I'm sure I have no doubt that he did. That's good stuff. God, that is so good. I'm moving on to my real quick question now, number three. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little shaky about asking this one because you and I have never talked about this. We've talked about it a lot over the years. You, you've been good enough to me to open up, and we've talked about a bunch of a bunch of different things, not just football, certainly not just T.R. Miller. But in 1990, your uh, second year, 
as the head coach at T.R. Miller. You were the assistant, you were the defensive coordinator, assistant coach, went to Alt for a couple of years. We brought you back home. 1990 is your second football season. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. You're the head coach. Great season, great team. Y'all get in the finals, and we're playing Deschler up there. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We have it late in the ball game. You know, a lot of things went our way in the first half. The second thing, the second half, things you know go their way a little bit. We're in the late in the fourth quarter of that ball game, and we have it fourth and short, maybe a yard, maybe less than a yard on our side of the fifty. I can't remember exactly where it is. I'm thinking it's about the thirty yard line, maybe. And uh, you have Gibson, you have uh, Leander Wilmer, you have Robin Hines and Chris Crutchfield up there. Was there any consideration to going for it and ending it there, or was it punt all the way? Okay, David. Uh, uh, so first of all, I'll tell you this. In my opinion, I didn't discuss that with anybody. Now, I could have, and, I, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple of the mistakes we made, but I could have because I actually ended up calling timeout. I didn't do it. I made the decision myself. I think that's a decision that the head coach ought to make. And the other reason I believe in that is I don't like standing on the sideline discussing with the other coaches if we're going to go for it or punt or what we're going to do. Like, we're not sure. And the, other, and the players hear all that. Uh, whatever, whatever I barked out, I expected them to execute. Now, let me, let me give you a, a couple of things about that. We had led the whole game. We were two touchdowns ahead. Uh, they scored. There's not much time, two or three minutes left in the game. They kick off to us. We're making them use all their timeouts. We're running the ball. And I made a critical error. It's third and four or something like that. Went to our goal line offense. That wasn't a critical error because they had everybody walked up in there. They knew we weren't going to throw the ball. So they got everybody walked up in there. And we give the ball to Ron. He bounces outside, and he did the same thing that Tank Bixby did last year in the Auburn-Alabama game. He ran out of bounds. Oh, wow. And my mistake was I didn't tell him that before the play. Now, trust me, the rest of my coaching career, every time we ever got in that situation, I reminded yeah. that running back because all I could think of was, was the Deschler game. But I don't remember whether they were out of timeouts or they would have had to use their last one at that point in time, but it, it became a critical issue later on. So there's not much time left. I'm going to say there's a minute or so left in the game. So it's fourth. I, David, I, I it's fourth and one, you know, and um, the book says punt. Yeah. You know, the book says punt. Punt, back them up. You know, if you can get a 20-yard net punt, you're 20 yards further from the goal line. There was only a minute left. They were basically out of timeouts. But they were a great football team. Uh, they had the state record at the time for the most points scored in one season. They were a great football I, team. I didn't know that. Yeah. And okay. we played terrific that night. Our kids played terrific that night. Anyway, before I go on, let me push you forward 13 years. All right. 2003 semifinals, T.R. Miller versus Pike County in Brundage. They had beaten us in regular season. One of the greatest football games I was ever a part of, even though we lost in overtime. Yep. And so, um, and, and this is why I think that the, the coach needs to make the decision. So, we've got the ball about midfield. It's fourth and less than a yard. And we're having a hard time stopping them. 
And I can hear two of my defensive coaches, Greg Ennis and Jeff Torrance, right now holler at me, go for it, go for it, go for it, because we're having a hard time stopping them. I ignored them, but I made the decision to go for it. And part of the reason I did was I got Brad Lanham at quarterback. Brad was not a skinny guy. Okay, and he was really good at quarterback sneak. So we just, I called the quarterback sneak. We dropped the snap. And we gave it to them at midfield. And, of course, they go down and score. We end up losing in overtime by one point because we missed our extra point. Yep. The game, 35 to 34, I think it was. David, the game ends. Now, you can imagine how I'm feeling right now. The game ends. Yeah, sink your stomach. Reporter from the Montgomery Advertiser runs up to me and says, Coach, that quarterback sneak at midfield when you went for it on fourth down, would you like to have that over again? And I looked at him and I said, Well, if I'd have known he was going to drop the snap, I'd have probably punted it. But I didn't know that. So, and I tell you the same thing here. I was always okay with that decision to punt it. It didn't work out for us. But I was okay with it at the time because I knew why I was making the decision. And, and if I'd have known what was going to happen, by the way, what happened was I called timeout because we had lost our confidence in punting. I think that B.B. Comer had blocked a punt on us in the semifinals, and we just weren't doing a good job of punt protection. I called timeout. Donnie set up the protection again with everybody and made sure we had everything right. I could have changed my mind and gone for it. But right. I, I just, I just, if we had not made it, if they had run somebody through and we had not made it, that's a tough gig to give them the ball down there right there, you know, because it went for it on fourth down. We didn't have enough confidence in our ability to punt. Now, what actually happened was we kicked it so fast that we didn't kick it very far. We kicked it low, and their guy made a great play and ran up there and caught the ball, and I think he ran it back nearly to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And and here's why, here's why the going out of bounds and everything was important. They scored on the last play of regulation. The last play, they threw a touchdown pass. Um, they caught a, a pass interference penalty on us. They got like seven downs inside the 10-yard line. They they score, but it's an eight-point game. They got to go for two to tie it, and they hand it off to their guy, and, and we knock him back, and they ruled he broke the plane of the goal. So, you know, we had other opportunities to win the game after that play. We just we, we just didn't get it done. But as a head coach, you have to live with that stuff. And, you know, I, and in front of the players, you know, I'll always take responsibility if that was a bad call or, or a bad deal. But if I had to do that over again today, I probably would go for it, knowing what I know now, but I didn't know that at the time. I want to add just a quick Ron Gibson story to that. I was at Auburn. Uh, that, that season, of course, came home a couple different times to watch that team, and, and y'all were amazing. I mean, y'all were just – Y'all were amazing, and back in those days, we obviously didn't have social media. There was no there was no internet. Uh, if you wanted the, the the scores, you got the Montgomery paper or the Mobile paper the next day. And I kept telling all my guys at Auburn, I kept at the Sigma New House. I was saying we'd look at the scores. And I said we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Ryan Gibson's you know just shredding everybody. I said if he doesn't win Mister Alabama in four A, they need to quit giving the award away. Well, towards the end of the season or season's over with, they hand all the awards. I remember walking back through there saying, I don't know who this David Palmer guy is. There's no <laughs> way he's better than Ron. Of course, the next fall, the Iron Bowl, I found out how good he was, too. He's a football player himself. Yeah, he was. That was good stuff. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you hearing that. That's, uh, that was, that, that, that's, that's, 
this is awesome. I could do this all night. I know we can't, but I could do this all night. Go move on to the fourth question, Coach. That takes us in to the 1995 season. Another great football team. We're the defending state champs. Went 15-0 in 1994. Looks like we're set up to do it again in 95, and we're up in Alexandria. I was actually uh, the sideline reporter for uh, WKNU that year. Hugh and Bill were in the booth, and I was on the uh, the, the field, the Tigers, throughout the season. What a crew that was. What a crew. Now, we had some good times, but I love having a front-row seat for that football season. I mean, just a great football team, great kids. Uh, y'all did an amazing job. We get up there to Alexandria. You know, the, 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 the rains come, the, the, the field's a mess. There's very little grass on the field. Especially when it starts raining, it turns into just a slop. And both teams played on it. I get it. I got it. I understand it. Uh, it goes their way that night. I wasn't as upset with the outcome of the game as I was after the game walking in and looking at the facilities that our football team was forced to use. You know, y'all went in there. I, I remember, I can't remember what the degrees was. It was very cold. A, a couple of our guys were shutting down because they were so cold and wet or whatnot. And I think I remember you piling up all the pants, maybe the jerseys too, and just leaving them there because they were totaled. There was no salvaging uh, most of that equipment that night. But I remember just being appalled that we had to drive across the state and that's what we were given. I understand a school not having outstanding resources. I know if it had been us, we would have given the visitors the better stuff and we would have fended for ourselves. But I was, I was, that wasn't right. And my question is, is that that experience and how all that played out, did that lead us to the Super Six, which is now the Super Seven, in terms of getting into the field where the field doesn't necessarily have a, a, an impact on the outcome and the resources and the, and the uh, facilities are at least to, to a level that is uh, worthy of, of human beings? Absolutely. It was the number one primary reason, our game, and I can tell you why, um, Frank Cotton. Frank Cotton was, was at the time, he was working, uh, I think he was working the superintendent's office at that time, but Frank was still on the central board. If I'm not mistaken, he might have even been president of the central board at the time. And um, he went back and told Dan Washburn, who was the um executive director of the Alabama High School Athletic Association, he told Dan Washburn uh, what, how bad that was, how pitiful the field was, how the whole deal was. And um, he, when he came back, he told me, he says, there will be a Super 6 next year. He said, we will play in Birmingham next year. And they had already been talking about it for a year or so, but the bad weather that night really, really changed that. And i give you just a little bit of background on all that. You know, it was the mid-90s, and we're just getting internet, you know, and cell phones and stuff. And, um, I, you know, it hurt us because, from this, this standpoint, they had Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell was great. He was great. He was. He, he, was, he was great. But their weakness was pass defense, and we were going to throw the ball on them that night. And um, it became impossible to throw the ball. And um, so, you know, during the week – you know, I finally realized when looking at weather reports that there was a chance we were going to get some rain possibly on Friday. So I started trying to prepare for that a little bit. And then Thursday night we went and spent the night in Birmingham. And then we're going to drive up to Alexandria the next day. And uh, I'm listening to the weather guy in Birmingham, and he's talking about a winter storm. 
So I knew it was going to be pretty rough. We weren't very well prepared, as good as we could. But here's, I had never been in cold and rain. Right. We've played in rain plenty of times. We've played when it was cold. Okay. Um, but we had never played in cold and rain, and there is a difference. I know Scott Sasser, our quarterback, told me after the first series, I can't feel my hands. And so it was, it was, it was tough condition. So, um, we go get there that night and I go out there on the field warming up and it hadn't started raining yet. And about the time we started warming up, it started raining. I'm standing out there on the field doing the pregame conference with, um, Larry Ginn, who was a coach at Alexandria, a great coach, great football and basketball coach, the ref head referee, who was one of the best in the state and a guy named Lewis Higgins, Lewis Higgins, well, worked in the superintendent's office at Oxford, and he was on the central board. Coach Cotton hadn't gotten there yet. And so Lewis Higgins and I, we're all standing out there talking, and the referee looks at me and looks at there again and says, um, okay, um, I guess we need to talk about whether this game needs to be played on this field tonight with the condition of the field and what looks like coming weather-wise. I never knew that conversation took place. Wow. Yeah. So I'm standing out there, you know, Larry, and and be honest, Larry kind of wanted, talked about maybe playing on Saturday. I said, hey, guys, I said, let's be realistic here for just a minute. I said, I've got all these folks up here. I said, we're on buses. I said, we're five hours from Bruton. I said, we call this game off. We're going to get on the bus. He said, all our nasty stuff, we're going to get on this bus. And I said, we're going to ride back to Bruton. Then tomorrow, I got to try to find more buses. I got to get us fed, brought all the way back up here. You know, after driving five hours, I'm going to turn around and drive five more hours tomorrow to get up here and play. And and from what I heard, it's supposed to rain all day tomorrow. So you're telling me I need to drive to Bruton, turn around and come back tomorrow and play on this field tomorrow? I said, let me tell you something. I said, I'm willing to go to Bruton and come back and play tomorrow. But well, we won't play on this field. If you can tell me that we can play at Oxford High School, I'll sign up for that right now. But if you can't tell me that, if you tell me we're playing on this field, you better get you better get ready because we fist and play tonight. Yeah. And they looked at me, and they said nobody said anything. And finally, the referee says, "Well, I guess we're gonna play here." I said, "Okay, let's tee it up and let's play then." But I didn't know what else to do, because and I was right. It rained up there the whole day the next day. Yeah. And there was no grass. There was there was no grass from the five to the five, and from uh, and and from really the numbers almost to the numbers on the other side. The only footing was you know outside outside the numbers there. So it was it was still a great game though. It was a great game, and and, and you hit the nail that Matt Campbell was a great football player. He was going to get his. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen them try to cover Jason Madden and Jeremy Bradley with uh, with, with Scott Sasser pulling the trigger. That'd have been interesting. But th- the game plays out; it is the way it ends. Where where my frustration started was when we got back in our locker room. There's no heat. There's no hot water. I don't even know if we had running water. Did, did we have running water in the locker room? <sighs> I think we had toilets. I think we had running water, but there were no showers. And did we did we leave our, all our pants up there that night? The football pants. Yeah, we we they they were just. They were it, it was bad. The locker room just overall was bad. And there was no heat in the locker room. It was the temperatures in the forties, 
and uh, and raining, and we were soaked, covered in mud, and freezing. And I, I will say this: I that's I don't have any regrets. That's one thing I wish I could have changed and made that better for those guys. And um, because we played a terrific game again, a terrific game, never gave up. You know, we played in all that slop and, and, and that kind of thing. Of course, and of course, they like they went in and changed uniforms at halftime, and they had they had heat. We didn't have a heater. We didn't have anything. But buddy, beginning in 1996, we had everything. I bought heaters. I bought everything. And we 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 learned a lot about playing in cold and playing in rain, and we did everything I could do to keep that from happening again to our players. So if you didn't know. The 1995 4A state championship game, T.R. Miller at Alexandria, kind of served as the exclamation point to move to what we came to know as the Super Six. It was the number one reason, I guarantee. Because yeah. I, when when Frank Cotton says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He told me he says I'm going this won't ever happen again. I'll fix it so this won't happen. Very good. Very good. All right, we're moving on to the fifth and final question for tonight. We're going to get in on the tail end of your career here at T.R. Miller. Your last football season at T.R. Miller was the football season of 2015. Is that correct, Coach? That's right. Yeah. In the spring uh, would have been 2016. But 2015 football season, you retired from T.R. Miller. You'd been the head football coach at T.R. Miller. Was that for 26 seasons? 27. 27. Yeah. Uh, not not a math student, but uh, 27 seasons. You're, you're you're out of the game for a year or so, and then you you go to Houston Academy over in the Wiregrass Private School. Talk a little bit about a about what it was for you, you know, being as brutal as you were, as T.R. Miller as you were, as a, as a kid, as a player, as an assistant coach, as the head coach, and having the success that you had through all of it as a player as an assistant coach and as a head coach, what was it like to go through that with somebody else, especially wearing the color you had to wear? <laughs> and there's a lot of brutal people got on to me about that too. I guarantee you. Um, well, first of all, I, I retired at Miller in, in 2015 uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, my drop had run out. I, I could have stayed on. By drop, I mean it's the deferred retirement program. And um, it's a five-year program. And basically what happened is, um, you know, they're taking my retirement check, state of Alabama is, they're putting it in an account somewhere, and they're still allowing me to work. And um, you can do that for five years. And then at the end of five years, um, either, you know, you have to retire or you can leave the money there, um, but uh, you can't touch it. That makes sense. As long as I'm working, I can't touch it. When I retire, then I can get my money. Okay. And, and so it's a great program. They, they, of course, ceased it about a decade ago, but it was a great program at the time. And um, so that was one of the reasons. But the other reason, the real reason was, you know, I had, um, I was really concerned about my health at the time. And of course, I'd had heart surgery in 2006. I had done basically 10 years since then and, and coached 10 years. I had gotten to the point I wasn't exercising like I should and taking care of myself. And I just, I really felt like I had an issue with my health. And um, so I, I thought it was the best thing at the time that I get out and while I could. And I still today think that was a, a decision I had to make for myself. I didn't want to do it, but I just felt right. like it, that I needed to do that. Okay. The reason that I got back in 
and I figured that I might go back to coaching at some point in time. Well, the reason I got back in was that I wanted to make a little extra money to save to be able to uh, do some things, you know, when, when I retired for, sure, for, for good. So that Becky and I could travel and do some things like that. I can coach at a private school and I can um, you know, draw my retirement and then my Saturday's private school as well. So that's what I was doing. And one of the reasons I went to Houston Academy was they were going to pay me a little more than, than, than other places. I really wanted to, to, if I was going to do that, stay in Bruton and live in Bruton and drive from Bruton if necessary. But there were no jobs open at the time. I could have gone to Florida. You know, I, I actually at one point in time got a, got a good feeler from a school in Florida down there. But I, I just decided that, you know, I didn't want to do that. And so I ended up over in, uh, in Dothan at Houston Academy. When I when I did that job, it was completely different. So in answer to your kind of a question here, it was a completely different thing. And and I just I didn't have much emotion about it. Nothing like I had before because Miller was my school. I grew up here. You know, it was very special to me. And and I'm not knocking Houston Academy because there's some great people over. I'm talking uh, the, some of the, the the parents over there were just great. The kids were just great. And in fact, I got a phone call from one of the parents today, you know, asking me something, you know, they're, they're just, they were just first class, you know, in every way. Um, but they had lost 19 games in a row. So there's a difference between that and T.R. Miller. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my job over there, they hired me to fix football. They hired me to come in there and, and get them to the point they could be competitive again, did they weren't interested in winning championships. They just wanted to be competitive again. So, you know, it was just a completely different deal, David. And um, when I when I went over and did that, I told uh, Becky, this will be entirely different. I'm not going to do what I did at Miller. I don't mind telling you, I did not sleep in the 90s. I mean, I'm sleeping five hours during football season, four or five hours a night. You know, I'm going to bed at 1 a.m. I'm getting up at 6.30. That was common for me. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that we got everything done for the games, you know, and that everything was what it needed to be. I didn't do that at Houston Academy. You know, I didn't I didn't do that. I, I didn't push myself like I pushed myself at Miller. And um, I was a lot calmer about a, a lot of things because I understood that we had a lot of issues I couldn't really do anything about. It was going to take time, so... Um, and I will tell you one little story about about that. Uh, the very first game I coached at Houston Academy, we're playing in a preseason game, Zion Chapel. I never thought I'd be coaching against Zion Chapel, but I'm coaching against Zion Chapel. And we're running the first play ever run with me at the coach, T.R. Miller. I'm in the I formation. What play did I run? Tall sweep. I ran the tall sweep. My tailback is Jake Ogletree, whose mama and daddy graduated from T.R. Miller High School. 1984. <laughs> yeah. So um, we toss it to Jake. He runs over and makes about five yards. They hit him over there by the boundary, and the ball pops up and goes straight up in the air and goes out of bounds over there. And he's laying on the ground right at my feet. And I looked at him. I said, I come all the way over to Dothan to coach over here. I run my play. I've been running for 25 years. I give it to you, and you drop the darn ball in to make it worse. Your mom and daddy went to T.R. Miller. 
And Dennis <laughs> is a good football player. Yes. And 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 I he looks at me like, oh my gosh. And everybody everybody on the sideline just backed up. Like they thought I was gonna choke him or something. But um anyway. Uh it was just a different deal. And uh, I, I really you know, I was glad I went over there and did that, but I'd had about enough after about three years. I needed to needed to come on and, and, and give it a rest. Well, you got him on good footing, and now our, our good friend, Coach Eddie B's over there doing some big things. Yeah, he is. And, uh, you know, what, what we were trying to do at the time was I was trying to build everything up from middle school. The problem over there was our middle school team was almost non-existent when I got there. And, um, you know, it's legal to – bring folks in and put them on financial aid. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to get folks in school and put them on financial aid. And I was trying to bring them in in the seventh and eighth grade, you know, if I could. And I was working for the future. And what happened was, you know, after we got just a few folks in, you know, the administration kind of uh, uh, went yeah. south on me and, and decided that they didn't want trans- all these transfer students coming in. And there's not there wasn't enough enough football players at Houston Academy without bringing transfers in, you, we couldn't play 1A football. And so um, uh, that that's kind of that, that led to my frustration. I came on back. But the, the guys that Eddie's got now over there are some of the first kids that we brought in. They were tougher. They were better players. They're going to win some games over there. And a bunch of them, I think, uh, his good class is all more. I think they're going to win a bunch of games over the next two or three years. Hey, but you had a heck of a fine, fine arts program, didn't you, Coach? <laughs> yeah, we did. It was it was outstanding. I I, I don't know. What, and I, I'll tell you one quick story. And I was really cool about this. And um, you will remember your old buddy Jack Wiggum. Jack, oh, yeah. Jack was my offensive line coach, and Jack went ballistic over this. He was mad as he could be. But so um, the first year I'm over there, somehow we won six or seven games or something. And uh, we actually made the playoffs. Now, they had lost 19 games in a row, and we made the playoffs. You know, and they, they just think this is great. Now, I tried to tell them, you know, we're not there. We're a long way. You know, we're not, I wanted to say we're not going to be any good much at all next year, but I didn't say that. I did have some kind of decent seniors that year. Anyway, uh, we're playing Winfield in the first-round playoffs. we got to go from Dothan to Winfield. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, um, they come to me. Uh, the week before, you know, like Thursday or Friday, the week before, and said, hey, coach, you know, next Wednesday, we're taking all the juniors to Birmingham on a college tour trip. I said, why are you telling me this? He said, because all your junior football players have to go on this trip. And I said, you got to be kidding me. We playing a playoff game Friday night. He said, well, they'll be back about 8 o'clock. We practiced at 8.30 <laughs> on Wednesday night. For an hour, because they took them all to um, Birmingham on a college tour trip, and 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 Jack was beside himself, and I was kind of cool, and I just said, "Hey, Jack, I don't remember us ever doing that at Miller. Do you?" <laughs> so, uh, I think me and Lynn would have worked that out for you, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, I want to think. That's why when they asked, they they told me that I said, "Why are you telling me this? I don't understand." So oh, they're going to be gone. I said. You gotta be kidding me! What? <laughs> too good. That's too good. Well, coach, that's the end of my five questions right. tonight. I'll as long as you want to, I can come up with five. <laughs> well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll yes, yeah, sir. We'll do it. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. And uh, yes, ho- hope to have you back a lot more times. 
I would love it, Coach. I would love it. All right. David, thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate all of that, and uh, you'll be hearing from him again. Thank you, folks, for listening in. This has been A Minute with Coach Riggs. Till next time.